Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Hey guys, it's the Christmas season. You know, it's that time of the year that we hear about Jesus's birth story. You know, every year, every single year, I tell my kids about their birth story. And as their birthday draws near, their friends start to kind of tease them like, hey, is your mom going to tell that birth story again? And everybody rolls their eyes, but I tell it anyway. I say it every year so that collectively we can remember what happened that day when they came into this world. And I tell it because so much has happened since their birth. Stories. I mean, history has been made. Knownness has been had. Every year we do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? We retell his birthday story. And I have to be honest, I've heard it so many times that perhaps, metaphorically speaking, I too tend to roll my eyes. But this year, I've made myself slow down, pause a little, ponder, specifically on Mary's pregnancy. And in doing so, I've been asking the question, Jesus, what is it that you want to say to me? What is it that you're telling me about you? More importantly, what I want is to experience that aspect of who God is. And I want to share a little bit of what I've been noodling on with you in this episode. And so I'm going to read some of the birth story and in between kind of pause and just share some of the pondering. And I'm going to start in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And I just want to pause right there because I love how Luke is setting Mary up to be like a nobody from nowhere. Nazareth was a military outpost, like a tiny little village of irrelevance. Galilee, it's where all the unspiritual peeps lived. And notice who got the mention of having a family pedigree. Joseph, not Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And I take this to mean that God is good with being with nobodies from nowhere. I think sometimes we look around at those who seem to be knocking it out of the park, whether it's in corporate America or vocational ministry, and we feel small, irrelevant, perhaps even unseen, or maybe just a little less important than others. And Jesus says, not so. 
He chose Mary. The text goes on to say that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, by now, we should pick up on the fact that Luke has used that word favored twice. Of course, she's favored. She was chosen to conceive, carry, nurse, and care for the Messiah. That's kind of a big deal. But if we aren't careful, we could paint Mary as having the best life ever. You know, this wonderful life. I think about Christmas. It can be magical. There are Christmas lights and eggnog and presents under the tree. There's this wonder swirling around the season, isn't there? But, and it's right here in the birth story that we learn this very hard truth. God is really honest with us here. He says, in this world, we will have suffering. Yes, it's magical. Mary is blessed, even favored. Yes, and her life will be accompanied by pain and grief and sorrow also. You see, when she and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, Simeon prophesied. He said, my, he's looking at Jesus, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And over this statement, Mary and Joseph were just giddy. I mean, the scripture says they marveled. And then Simeon turned to Mary and he said this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword, Mary, will pierce your soul too. Yeah. Pleasure and pain, they go hand in hand in this world. We hear of this first in the garden, before the fall. There's a tree. Remember, the tree of good and evil? In the Hebrew, it's toven ra. And I love how one author explains the meaning of toven ra. And I, and I want you to listen carefully to what she says, because I think you'll go, oh yeah, this is how the real world works. Oh yeah, this is actually what is true of the Christmas season. She says this, the words Tov and Ra speak of an ultimate division in the world in general, in general, which goes beyond moral discord, so that Tov would perhaps also mean full of pleasure and Ra full of pain. Tov and Ra are the categories for the deepest divisions of human life in every aspect. The essential thing about them is that they appear as a pair and that in their state of division, they belong inseparably together. They belong inseparably together. And I need a God to be honest with me about this life. And he tells us through Mary's pregnancy that life will be full of pleasure and pain. And to be honest with you, like knowing that truth, it helps me navigate myself. Because Tovin Ra, it exists within me. And it exists within those I love and the world in which I live and move. This is what we learn through the Christmas story. And the scripture goes on. 
Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. By the way, Jesus means the Lord is salvation. In Matthew 1.23, Jesus tells us, uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus is going to be called Emmanuel, which means, yes, you've heard this, God with us. And I'm going to do a whole episode on that concept of God with us, the next episode actually. But for now, I want to pause on the statement, you will conceive. Later in verse 35, Gabriel repeated that same fact. He said, the baby will be born. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because birth, the birthing process, was a dangerous endeavor in first century Christianity. And it was especially dangerous for Mary. I mean, she could have been stoned to death for being pregnant out of wedlock. She knew that, by the way. And she also knew that women and babies died in childbirth. In antiquity, over 50% of all babies died. So when I think of the words that God is delivering here to Mary, he says the baby will be born, and you too will be alive because you're going to get to name him. That's assurance. He's assuring her during this very scary time, and it makes me love God more. God doesn't just say you might. He says you will make it. And then he gives her more confidence by telling her about her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, who has become pregnant, right? This impossible thing has happened. Now, I'm not saying that God promises that all babies and all moms make it. That's not the point I'm making here. It's that we find ourselves in places like Mary, scary places where we're living on the edge, where we feel a lot of fear and we wonder are we going to be able to handle it? And God says, you're going to make it. And the reason we're going to make it is because God is with us. And again, I'll talk more about that in the next episode. But for now, maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear the living God say to you, you're going to make it. And let me just remind you of who's saying that. Because it's not me and it's not Mary. It's our God. And I'm mindful of when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. God identified himself as the great I am, Yahweh in Hebrew, right? Theologians have struggled to get their hands around this title, this name, for centuries. I mean, books and books and commentaries have been written. I really like how Aviva Zornberg, a modern-day master of Midrash, which is a Jewish tradition for interpreting the Old Testament. I like how she says it. Listen carefully, because it's quite profound. She says, the name I am means I am the very principle of becoming, of allowing the impossible to happen. Let me say that again. I am the very principle of becoming of allowing the impossible to happen. That's who's talking to you. And this is the God I hope and pray you encounter over the Christmas season. Not just to intellectually know that about God, that he's the very principle of becoming, of allowing the impossible to happen, but that you would actually experience that about God in some form or fashion over this 
Christmas season. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This past year in seminary, I did a whole lot of work around the role of mothers and pregnancy during the Greco-Roman time. I know, it's kind of a geeky thing. It led me down all kinds of, of trails, you know, even reflecting on my own body when I conceived, carried, nursed, and cared for my three children. Let me just say, pregnancy does things to a woman's body. There's lactation, brain fog, stretch marks, weird food cravings, just to name a few. When I had my third child, which would have been like three and a half years after the first, when I carried my last child, she took calcium from my teeth without asking me, mind you, and my teeth broke. So there's these things going on, passing between mom and baby in the womb that we don't see every single day. And I like how uh, Carnes, in her book, Confessions of Motherhood, writes it. She says, My body still looked the same. It was just going about its primary business of keeping itself alive while my bones were hollowing themselves out to help you grow. Who is this calcium consumer inside me? And who is this bone sacrificer I have become? In this new world of our existence together, I make you from my very body, giving to you despite the cost to me. It is unlike I have ever done. And then she makes this profound connection between pregnancy and God. She says, Our pregnant bodies simply do things, caring for the vulnerable one within, as if charity were the very grain of the universe. Let that sink in. Pregnancy shows us that charity is the grain of the universe, it's just built into the fabric. Through our female bodies, God shows us charitable, that he's charitable, and that his intention for humans are that we too would be charitable. Charitable. What on earth does that really mean? I looked it up. It means full of love for and the goodwill towards others to be merciful or kind in judgment. Think about if we could just extend that part of charity during the holiday season, to be merciful and kind in our judgment of those around us, to be generous and helpful toward those in need. This is what Mary's pregnant body reveals to us about our living God and the world in which he made. Charity is ingrained in the very fabric of the universe. And my prayer for you and for me over this holiday season is that we bump into it. Mary carried the charitable one. But we can't or shouldn't miss the moment (laughs) that for, for nine months, the living God chose to be vulnerable in her womb. Vulnerability means to be open to woundedness. I like how Andy Crouch talks about it, he argues that vulnerability is part of God's character as demonstrated in creation where God gave creatures the freedom to reject him, to wound him. And then we see the same vulnerability on the cross. But did you ever consider it was also present in the womb, in Mary's womb, God's vulnerability? It's something that God wants us to know about him and about us. 
And during the holiday season, it seems like we get a heightened awareness of vulnerable people, of the homeless and hungry, and we should. But I think God also wants to highlight our very own vulnerability, our need for love and belonging and and knownness. It seems to get louder during the holidays, doesn't it? What we learn from the retelling of Jesus' birth story is that vulnerability is part of being human and that vulnerability requires hospitality. In antiquity, the ethic of hospitality, and it was an ethic of hospitality, was crucial for people's existence. If, if a traveler was to leave their home and to be able to come back alive, they'd have to rely on strangers for the provision, protection, and care. You know, like giving water to those who are walking up through Mexico. This type of hospitality is throughout the scriptures. Just think of the Good Samaritan story. We could look at Genesis 18, 19, Leviticus 19. We could turn to Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. Remember, he says this thing, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the people who were listening were like, "Mm, Jesus, uh, you were never hungry. We never fed you. I don't remember you being in prison. And he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. There's that truth, right, that vulnerability needs to be met with hospitality. And it played out in Mary's pregnant body. Mary's womb offered the living God hourly hospitality. And during this Christmas season, I think God is asking us to take note of that, to experience it from him and to extend his divine hospitality to others I mean, we're going to be at tables with people during this holiday season. We might want to ask, how can we be thinking about who there is going to be feeling vulnerable? How might we be able to provide protection, provision, and care for them? I mean, it could be as simple as turning to someone and saying, I see you, and you are welcome here. This is what we see in Jesus' birth story. You know, if you've ever witnessed a birth Um, you know it's messy. Stuff comes out of everywhere. And I got to tell you, no one told me that. It like happened and I was like, oh my God, this is gross. In Mary's day, the birthing process was considered dirty. It was actually considered unclean. Plutarch, a philosopher during the 49 to like 119 AD, said this about the birthing process. For there is nothing so imperfect, so helpless, so naked, so shapeless, so foul as man observed at birth, to whom alone one might almost say nature has given not even a clean passage to the light, but defiled with blood and covered with filth and resembling more one just slain than one just born. He is an object for none to touch or lift up or kiss or embrace except for someone who loves with a natural affection. Yeah, he's an ancient thinker, but he gives us the view in antiquity of the birthing process of Mary's day. And in light of that, Amy Peeler in her new book, uh, I think it's called Women and the Gender of God, she, she makes this profound conclusion. She says, God is willing 
because of a loving desire to reconcile with humanity, to undergo this process viewed as shameful, as unclean. I mean, think about it. It comes through the birth canal. I know this is going to kind of gross you out, but just think about it. He comes through the birth canal. His body's covered with blood and that white mucus. And if Mary was like me and lost her bowels, well, that, that was part of the messy mix too. The point is your God, my God, the God that we're talking about during this Christmas season is willing to go to any length to get to us, to be with us, which takes me to Mary's question. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not put me at rest. It's very interesting. In the previous verses, we have a story of Zechariah, the priest, chosen to enter the Holies of Holies on Israel's behalf. And it was presumed that the Holies of Holies was where God's presence, the very presence of God, dwelled. Mary, for a variety of reasons, including her being female, was not allowed in the Holies of Holies. In this passage in Luke, we see that Zacharias went was chosen to go into the Holies of Holies, and God brought the Holies of Holies to Mary. And this, this says something about our God. I was thinking about how often we work to create a place or a space of closeness towards God, you know, and how guilty we feel because we're not doing enough to draw near to God. We're not reading enough scripture, praying enough. We're not emptying ourselves out enough in prayer to be able to feel connected and close. But what if, what if what we're learning here and seeing here is that God is the one who comes close to us? And this isn't new. I mean, I think about the Old Testament, the tabernacle, when the people are wandering through the desert, they built this structure, and this structure communicated that God was among them. That was the term, God among us. And then we have Matthew, who told us the incarnate Christ is God with us. No more like God's on the inside and you're on the outside. No more holy of holies that people can't get into Right, so we have God among us and God with us. And then Jesus, in, in the John chapter, I think it's 14 through 16, tells his followers upon his departure that he's sending another just like him, the Spirit. And she would be in us. So if you look at Scripture over the whole, it looks like God has been working throughout history to get closer and closer and closer to us. Among, with, in, he can't get any closer than that. What if our job over this Christmas season is simply to be alert to God's presence in us, others, and the created world in which we live and move? How would that reframe how we go through this season? I mean, it would at least stop us from (laughs) trying to become so spiritual. We could just simply look for where God's presence and then snuggle up there. Merry Christmas. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E.
Have a great day. 